Or I'm just going to dive into my sermon. Is that all right? Good. Cool. How you going, church? Good. Okay. You're a little bit quiet. I guess uh, you've been, I've hit you at the pocket and that's always sobers us up a bit. Uh, I want you to imagine this. You're driving along and you come into a double lane, the, 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 the road splits into two lanes and there's a line of traffic here and a line of traffic there. And you look. And you're like, you count up the number, number of cars in one, a number of trucks and cars, and, and you judge by their make and model which one will go faster, and possibly you judge the hair color of the person and how old they are and how, how fast you think. And you automatically take the lane that you think will go the quickest. And you get in that lane, and then you pick wrong, and you look across, and the people who have come up um, behind you, they've taken the other lane, and they're going faster than you, and you're like, oh, darn, ah. Oh. I chose the wrong lane. Or, or you're in the supermarket and you like come up to the checkout and you scan across and you're like, oh yeah, this person's got this, there's that many people in that. And I've got a lot of groceries in that one. And that was, oh yeah, oh no, they're old and they're moving really slowly. Uh, Yeah, I'll go this one. And then you look across at someone who joins just after you and they whip through that line way faster than you. And you're like, oh, I chose wrong. Oh, and it just makes you angry, or or, or maybe maybe you uh, you're, you're just constantly trying to multitask. You know, the car is the classic place. You get in the car and you've got your coffee and you're having a bite to eat and you're you're talking on your phone, hands free of course, and you're doing your makeup, combing your beard. Uh, you're you're just and you're, yeah, you're talking to the kids. You're you're changing gears. You're doing you're doing everything. Uh, just all go, or perhaps. You're, you're at home, and you're sitting in front of the TV, and, uh, but you've also got another screen because you're trying to clear some emails at the same time. Possibly you've even got a third screen. You're not dual screening. You're triple screening because you've got a third. You're just checking out Facebook on your phone while doing your email, laptop, and you've got uh, Netflix going in the background. I, I just want to say, if, if, if any of these scenarios, or all of them, are you, then you suffer from an illness. It's called hurry sickness, and it is probably the greatest epidemic in the West today. It's the illness of our age. Along with superficiality, it's the sickness that the West most suffers with. In this the series we're in, Practice Makes Progress, we're not so much about progressing and going faster and getting further as we are going deeper. Because as you go deeper with God, Actually, your life grows bigger, and you go further anyway. And so I, today, I really want to address this issue of hurry sickness, because it's all around us, right? And we don't even realize it. Petrol stations, you know, Mobile advertise themselves as the quick stop. Uh, BP store, what's the name of their store? Go. Uh, food, you know, McDonald's. It's not, it's not the best tasting food. It's not even the cheapest food. It's just the fastest. It's the quickest food. It's just that's why it's called fast food. And of course, going into a restaurant and sitting down and and and, and making an order and waiting and having to eat it there, that, that just takes far too long. So now we've got this thing called a drive-through. So we don't even have to get out of our cars. We can just get through there, get it, and in and out, and we're away. We don't even have to pause on our journey. Or Better still, just get delivery. 
You know, Domino's became the number one pizza company in the U.S. because they promised to deliver in under 30, 30 minutes or less. And their CEO said, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. You see, it's not the, it's not the quality of the pizza that people care about. It's the speed they can get it. And it's not the quality of the life that we're living. It's the speed at which we live it. Which is crazy, right? It's crazy. But it's what we do. And the crazy thing is that all our efforts to speed things up and, and I guess you could say make, make time, timefulness in our, in our world, they actually, they don't, they, they don't even work. We just, we actually feel the opposite. We feel more hurried. We feel more stressed. See, we live in a stuff-rich, time-poor world. Well, at least we do here in New Zealand. I, I remember in my early 20s going to Uganda um, to help uh, lead a course over there. And, and uh, I noticed, one of, the, one of the key things I noticed culturally that was different to here was just the speed at which everything happens. The speed at which things were done. Just even the speed that people walked. Like, I come from a, a long line of, of speed walkers. You go walk for a walk with my mum. And she's in her 70s now. She's slowed down a little bit. But it's just like, it's, she's just power walking everywhere. You just got to run to keep up. And, and, and just when I got to Uganda, I was, just, I was forever like, oh, I just, just got to slow down. And it's just a, it's a meander. It's, there's, it's, it's not about the destination. It's, it's about the journey, which actually is kind of what life is actually about. It's not about the destination. We know where we're going. There's no hurry to get to heaven, people. <laughs> you know, you'll get there in God's time. It's actually, it's actually about the journey, the process. Hurry sickness is the sickness of our age. It can be defined as a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined, from other persons. And I have to say, it's reached epidemic proportions in our society. But it was even in Jesus' time. Jesus recognized this epidemic in his day. So when the disciples came back from a busy time of ministry, I'll give you a scripture. Uh, in Mark 6, 30 to 31, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming uh, and going that they did not have a, even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. See, most people today think that busyness is a good thing. It's a measure of your success and your productivity. And that God will reward you one day. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were even too busy to eat. Come, enter into your reward. You know, you just ask anyone, and I do it too. You ask, how was your week? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was busy. We just say that reflexively, like it was busy. Was it really, though? Are you just saying that because that's the expectation? that the society puts on you, that we need to be busy. To be a good person, you have to be productive. You have to be busy. See, Mark here, he wasn't 
commending the disciples for their busyness. No, Jesus was actually urging them to take some time out. Because you see, following Jesus can't be done in a hurry. In fact, if you think about it, by definition, you can't follow someone by moving faster than them. Does that make sense? You can't follow someone if you're moving faster than them. You can't follow a leader that you're ahead of. You can't follow Jesus by running around like a headless chicken and being busy. To follow Jesus, you need to move at Jesus' pace. Is this a good sermon? Because you guys are really quiet today. Do you need need a shake-up? Do you need to stand up? I will do it. I'll get you to stand up and shake around if I need to get more from you. So, so just that's a warning. You're on a warning. Okay. I need I need some more feedback. So I think it's I think it's a great point. Maybe you're just so shocked. You're like, man, this is me. Maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's good. Because it's actually a really dangerous thing. You see, the, the most the most serious outcome of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. It is, because love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible, because love always takes time. It takes time to love someone, which is the one thing that uh, hurried people don't have, because we're too busy. We have to get to the next thing. You see someone on the side of the road, and you're like, oh, and they need help. I can't help them. I have to get to my next appointment. Uh, you, you see someone needing help in the car park. Oh, no, I need, I need to get these groceries in. I have to go do this other thing. Oh, I need to, I need to help out my, I need to just spend some time with the kids. But no, actually, I've got to do this, these tasks around the home, keep it tidy. No, all these things are just instances where there's an opportunity to love, but you've just chose to hurry. We're too busy, or at least we think we're too busy. There's a term called sunset fatigue. When you come home from a day's work and those who, who need your love and, and, and desire your love the most, those, are whom, those to whom you're most committed, they don't actually get your love. Sunset fatigue is just when we're, we're too tired, we're too drained, we're too preoccupied to love those who we're called to love the most. Here's some symptoms of it. You find yourself rushing even when there's no reason to. Or there's, a, there's an underlying tension that just causes things to just quickly flare up for no real reason. Parents, you set up mock races with your kids. Come on, okay, let's see you can have the bath the fastest, all right? Even when actually there's no, there's no rush, there's no hurry. It's actually more about your own need to get through it than it is about, yeah, because you just want to lie on the couch, let's be honest. Or maybe you've lost, that, that sense of gratitude, that sense of wonder, that sense of thankfulness for all the abundant blessings you have. Or you in, indulge in, in, in self-destructive kind of escapes from life. You just end up binge watching Netflix or you drink a few too many wines or whatever it is. You're just trying to escape from the busyness. These are all signs of, of sunset fatigue. The, 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 the idea that we're just we're so busy that we don't have time to love the people that most need our love. Hurry is one of the greatest enemies to our spiritual growth because it kills that ability to love. 
And because that's ultimately, it's, it's very simple. The call of God on our lives is to love God and, and love others. And hurry is a thing that, that just strangles it out. Hurry actually lies behind most of our anger and our frustration and our, in our lives today. It, presents, it prevents us from receiving the love of the Father and it present, prevents us from giving it to His children. Which is why Jesus never hurried. You don't see him running to a schedule and go, oh, I'm behind schedule here, team. Come on, we've got to skip that town and go to this one because uh, we just don't have enough time. But you see, Jesus, he is, he's purposeful and he's got a lot on. You know, it's not like he's not doing anything, but he's never hurried. And, and I want, if you're taking notes, you should be, I want you to write this down. What we need to do to follow Jesus is actually we just need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. How do you do that? Well, you've come to the right place. Because we've got some, I've got some practices here. Remember, we're, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And a, a spiritual discipline is just something that you do regularly that draws you closer to Jesus. It could be anything. It could be riding your bike. Because if it brings you closer to Jesus, that's good. Uh, it, could, it could be watching Netflix, but I don't know. Uh, if it's drawing you, it depends what you're watching. Possibly it's not drawing you closer to Jesus. Um, but... There are some practices that we can do that will draw us closer to Jesus by helping us to eliminate hurry. Are you ready for them? Or two people are ready for them. Are you ready for them? Okay, let's go. Number one, we need to practice solitude. Now, all the mums with young kids go, yeah, right. (laughs) That's a dream. Just give me five minutes alone without my children. Well, yes, I know it's hard. It's a discipline, though, and disciplines by definition are hard. They're not always easy. Look at Jesus. You know, for three years running, he was the most popular speaker on the Israeli circuit. He was in great demand. He had crowds after him all the time. And, and, and he, was a, he, he was a rabbi as well. So he wasn't just a, a teacher like, you know, teachers today, they got it easy. They go to school and then they go home and their class doesn't follow them home, right? But Jesus as a rabbi his class is with them all the time. Imagine that, except if you're a, uh, you live with them, like Oscar. Well, he doesn't quite live with them, but uh, if you're a housemaster, that's possibly a little different. But most teachers don't have to bring their class with them. Jesus has 12 disciples. They're living with them. They're eating with them. They're sleeping in the same room with them. He doesn't get much time out. And yet, we consistently see Jesus practicing solitude. At the beginning of his ministry, he goes out to the wilderness alone for an extended period of of prayer and fasting. He went into solitude when he heard of the death of John the Baptist, when he was going to choose his disciples, after he had been involved in healing a leper, after his followers had engaged in ministry. And this pattern just goes on throughout the time of his ministry, right up to the, the final days of his life, when again he withdraws into solitude, goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He ended his ministry the same way he began it, with the practice of solitude. And we are supposed to follow his example. As Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we are to do this as well, but we, we often forget it. 
So how do we, how do, we do it? I mean, what, what, why do we do it? What, why go alone? What's the power in, in getting alone with God? Well, solitude is the one place where we gain freedom from the forces of the society around us that are relentlessly molding us. You might not think that. You might be like, oh, no, I'm a strong Christian. I'm not getting molded. You are getting molded by the society around you. The world shapes us in ways we don't even realize. And solitude is, is a key way of removing ourselves from society and just connecting again with God and, and getting perspective. It's the old analogy of the frog in the pot uh, of water. You, uh, the story goes that if you pop a, a frog into a, a boiling pot of water, it will just jump out straight away because it feels the heat. But if you put a, a, pot, a, a frog in a, in a cold pot of water and you gradually heat it up, I don't know who does this kind of thing, <laughs> it, it, will, it will not realize until it's too late. It's the same with the forces around us in society. You know, we just, we become accustomed to it and it gradually the hurry rises and it rises and it stress rises and it rises and we don't realize because we're just sitting in it the whole time. But if we remove ourselves from it and we go and we just take some time out and we be Jesus and we come back into it, we're like, oh, this is unhealthy. This is, this is too fast. This is, I, I'm, I'm getting shaped in ways that I shouldn't be by the world around me. We need, we need to take ourselves out of society for a bit to realize how it's shaping us and also to be reshaped by the Spirit of God. Now, you need to realize that, that solitude is not, it's not loneliness. Loneliness can often unhealthily drive us towards the noise and the crowds where, where we actually tend to feel even more lonely. How I many you know it's, it's easy to feel the loneliest when you're in a crowd? Uh, but, but actually, it's not loneliness. It's, it's choosing to be alone with God. And we need both. We need, we need solitude, but we need community as well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, uh, and I think I've put this up here, Let him who, who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. We actually need both in our lives to be healthy. That's why we, we have such a focus on e-groups. Because we know the power of getting into a smaller community, a bunch of people who can love and pray for and support one another. We need that. But at the same time, we need solitude. We need to get alone with God and, and, and just spend time with Him. Solitude, at its core, is actually about not doing something, which is very countercultural, and for many of us is very hard. Just like in fasting, we, we refrain from eating. Well, in solitude, we refrain from society. We withdraw from conversation, from distractions, from phones, from noise. Henry Nguyen, uh, the theologian, writes, In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. Your scaffolding is all the stuff that kind of props you up in life, that, that, that makes you convinced that you're actually important and that you're okay. When we tear away all those things, the, the friends, the meetings, the TV, the music, the books, the phone, the accomplishments, the possessions, the networks, all those things that would 
shape us and define us, when we just strip that all away, it's just us and God. That's a scary place. That's a scary place. And I think too many people, Christians and non-Christians, don't go there because it's scary. Because they don't like to be alone with themselves. Because actually then they have to face up to the issues and the and who they are and who they are becoming. But it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. We need to embrace this discipline. So how does it, how does it work? What, what, what do you do in that space? Well, the first thing you do, and, and this might be hard, harder for some than others, is you, you, you be silent. You just be silent. In fact, you could even say that, that silence in itself is a spiritual discipline. Because without silence, there is no solitude. Uh, but it's not just silent. How many know you can be silent and not be listening? Like perhaps now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, you can be silent without actually paying any attention. You can be silent before God, but if you're not tuning in, if you're not leaning in and saying, God, I, I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. Then, then there's no point. But as you practice, as you do that, as you listen, you get better at listening. You learn to hear his voice. You learn to tune in to his frequency. And then you learn to hear him speak more clearly. Being silent actually is a good discipline because it teaches us to, to control our tongues. You just go and read uh, chapter 3 in the book of James to know about the power of our words, the power of the tongue. It's like a rudder that steers a, a large boat. It's like a, a bit in a horse's mouth that, that controls it. It's like a, a spark that starts a fire. The tongue is incredibly powerful. And when we learn to be excuse me, silent, actually we learn to control our tongue. When we practice silence, we learn a measure of self-control. And James says that if you learn to control your tongue, get this, you will be perfect. Wow, that is crazy. Anybody, well, I mean, I'd like to be perfect, um, but I know I can't control my tongue. Uh, wh one of the reasons we don't like silence is often it makes us feel helpless, I think. If we can't speak up, uh, up if we can't defend ourselves, if we can't put people straight, if we can't say, no, that's not how it is, or that's not fair, we feel a bit helpless. If we don't speak, who will defend us? Well, actually, God will. <laughs> and we need to learn, it's a matter of trust. We need to learn to trust God to speak for us. Silence is intimately related to our trust in God. Just think about Jesus. Jesus before his accusers, was silent. That, that blows my mind. Wrongfully accused. Wrongfully sentenced to death. And yet it says he went like a lamb to the slaughter. He was silent before his accusers. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. But that's the example that Jesus sets us. We fear so deeply what others think of us and about us, that we always want to straighten out their understanding. We always want to speak up. If I do something wrong and you hear about it, I want you to understand why I did that. 
right? We always want to justify. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines because it stops our inner self-justification. We let God be our justifier. We let God be our defender. So we're silent. We're silent before God. We learn to be silent before God, and that helps us to be silent when we should be silent before others. And we listen. We listen to God. We listen for His voice in that solitude. We just say, God, speak to me. Give me someone to pray for. Give me something that I need to shift in my life. Show me where I need to change. We, we listen. And we also reflect. It's, it's a powerful thing that, you know, as a, as a physio, I, get, I got taught the, the art of, 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 um, of reflection, you know, on my clinical practice. And it's, it's basically it's what we, we sometimes do naturally, but often we actually don't do it in a spiritual life. Like, you know, in a job, you, you think about your job and you, you think, oh, I did that wrong that time. I'll do it right the next time. But how often do we come before God? Go, actually, God, what do I need to change? I didn't get that interaction right with that person. What do I need, who do I need to forgive? You just go over. It's a good practice to do at the end of the day. Just go over. You know, your interactions, think about the people you, you talk with, the things you did, and, and, and ask God, God, who do you want me to pray for? What do you want me to change? Who do you need me to forgive? Uh, it's almost like, you know, like a, a sports team. After every game, they'll, a good sports team, they'll go over video footage, and they'll look at where they went wrong and what they did right so they can improve the next time around. I think that's a powerful thing about solitude is we can do that in our own lives. Thankfully, there's no one following you around with a phone, just because that would be, there'd be a few ouch moments. Uh, but an unexamined life is a life that never changes. An unexamined life is a life that doesn't grow. We actually need to learn the art of, of living an examined life. And we do that in solitude. There are different ways to practice solitude. You can do the, the kind of little and big during your day. Just, just think about little ways you can just snatch moments of solitude. Just a, having a cup of coffee with Jesus. Just alone in your car on the way to work. Maybe just slipping outside before you go to bed at night, looking up at the stars and taking a moment. Snatch those moments and invite Jesus into them. Because he wants to hang out with you. Just invite him to speak. Another way is to, to maybe find a quiet place. It's not always easy, I know, for children. Uh, it could be a spot in the garden. It could be, a, you know, just a park down the road or even a, even a chair in the house or in a room. Just you, Everybody, it's understood that this is the quiet place. And if mom or dad are in that space, then you just leave them alone. Uh, they're not to be disturbed. But, yeah, I, I just love wandering down to the pond at the bottom of our uh, property and just, just spending time with Jesus. Just It's just my, my, my place of solitude. And I think we all need to find a place in our world where we can just be alone with Him and have Him speak to us. So that's kind of the smaller moments. But I think actually we also need sometimes to have some extended periods of solitude. I'm not very good at this. It's something I want to develop in my life. But maybe it's a few times a year, carve out a, a day or, or even half a day just to go and be alone. 
one of the biggest obstacles to this in our society, I think, is, is that we think it's a waste of time. We're like, well, go and be alone for a day. But think of all the things I'm going to not get done. I've got a list this long. Well, guess what? That list that long will still be there when you get back. And actually, this God over here is far more important than your list over here. We just need to shift our priorities a bit. We need to, I'm talking to myself here as well. We just need to carve out that time. Because remember, it's, it's society is conditioning us to say that these things are actually more important. That the getting through this list is far more important than spending time with God. And don't worry, when you do go and do that, if your mind just wanders and you get distracted and, and you feel like, oh man, I'm just like, I just keep thinking about this scenario, this, I get angry with this person, or I think about this future event that I want to do, or, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Brother Lawrence, who wrote um, uh, an amazing uh, text on this whole, whole kind of thing, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God, he, he says this, for many years I was bothered by the thought that I was a failure at prayer. Then one day I realized I would always be a failure at prayer. And I've gotten on along, along much better ever since. Don't worry. Don't beat yourself up about the fact that, oh, actually, you, you, you're not staying focused in prayer for hours at a time. Nobody does that. You know, there's no, no saints that really do that. Don't worry. The, the important thing is to draw close. Draw close to God, and He will draw close to you, the Bible promises. Solitude is a key practice if we're to develop and a, a way to beat hurry sickness in our lives. So that's solitude. Another practice is something we'll just call slowing. Slow. <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great New Testament story that captures this idea of slowing. It's in Luke 10, 38 to 42. We'll read it now. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus didn't need Martha running around doing everything for her. And neither does Jesus need you running around doing everything for him. Yes, we are called to do stuff in the kingdom of God, but it's from a place of being with Jesus, not from a place of, Pleasing him by doing, which is what we often think we should do. We actually need to choose to slow down and be with Jesus more. And when we do, we find that all the things that worried and upset us, like, like Martha, actually we realize they're not that important. They're not as important as we thought they were. Whenever I stop and I, I slow down and I be with Jesus, I realize what is actually important, like my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, with my friends, my, my purpose in life, my loving other people. I get that perspective when I slow down. Slowing, it's a discipline. It takes practice. 
And it actually goes beyond just sitting at Jesus' feet. I don't mean just taking some time out to pray. I actually mean slowing in your life. So you remember those, those scenarios we talked about at the start? You can kind of turn this into a game in your life. When you're driving, deliberately take the slow lane. Oh, oh, oh there's a big truck in that one. I'm pulling up behind her. Oh, yeah. Come on, that's countercultural. Oh, I'm going to let that other person in. I'm going to just wave all these people in to traffic. Wow. You might get to work a minute later, because this is Timaru people, <laughs> with no such thing as traffic jams. But I tell you what, you won't be as frustrated with the traffic. You won't be as annoyed at other people around you. And take that extra time in your car to, to pray, to, say, to be thankful that you've got a car to drive, uh, that thankful for the place that you're going to and whatever you're doing. Maybe eat your food slower. Just wolf it down, but actually, actually savor it. Chew it a few more times. And, and what you'll do, actually, is your satiety signals kick in about 10 minutes after you uh, after the food hits your stomach. So if you eat a bit slower, you'll probably end up eating less, which will probably be, be, be healthy for you too. And you'll enjoy it more. And you can take that time to be thankful that you have this food on your plate that's going into your mouth. When you're at the supermarket, come on, choose the slowest lane. And, and let someone in. Let someone in, out, in before you. Ahead of you, come on. I know it's countercultural, but we, we need to. We need, sometimes we just need to push back. I'm not saying you have to do this all your life, but maybe try it for a few weeks. Just, just you know, fight that urge to get ahead, urge to be faster, to hurry, to rush. Maybe have a fast from looking at your phone throughout the day. You know, every spare moment. Oh, what's what's happening in the world? Oh, is anyone on my Facebook? Oh, oh Richie was just a message about the aircon. It's blown cold. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, just, uh, you know, answer, answer your calls, sure, and, and answer your texts, but, but don't just always turn to your phone. In those moments, instead, reflect on what's going on around you. Invite God into that space. Instead of checking your phone for the news that you checked five minutes ago, actually just... Invite Jesus into that. There's countless ways that we can deliberately choose to slow. And, make, and that will eventually make hurry impossible in our lives. And as you do that, see what you're doing is you're, you're saying to God, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you that actually you've given me enough time to do what you've called me to do today. Which is true, by the way. God's given you enough of everything you need to fulfill the purpose of God for your life. So stop forcing the issue by rushing around. Because research even plays this out. There's no correlation between hurry or type A behavior and productivity. Actually, it doesn't get you anywhere except for frustrated and possibly increase your blood pressure and, uh, and, and worsen your health. God's given you enough time. We just need to learn to trust Him. And I, and I, and I reckon as we do these things, as we, as we learn the art of solitude, just getting away, 
with Jesus every day and then in larger, larger times, being silent before him, just actually not just telling him all the problems in our lives, but actually waiting and listening. And as we, as we deliberately slow and just take more time in our days, then we will learn to draw closer to him. We will learn to be aware of him in our days more and more. If, if you want, I mean, I can't make this happen in your life. I would love to be able to do that. But what I, would, what I can do is I can pray now. And, I, and if you want, if you know that some of these things are for you and you want to join me in that prayer, I just ask you to, to stand to your feet now. And uh, we're going to believe together that, that from, from this day forward, we're going we're gonna to take a bit of time. We're going to give a bit of space. We're going to slow. We're going to take some solitude. We're going to be silent and we're going to grow in this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that everything we, you've called us to do, we have enough time to do. We thank you for the abundant time that we actually have on this earth. God, make us aware of it. Father, help us to use that time wisely by practicing solitude, by practicing silence, by practicing slowing in our lives. God, help us in this because it's, it's unnatural for us in the world that we live in. So Jesus, show us. And as we do, Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to meet with you. Help us to be drawn closer to you. Help us, Jesus, to become more like you through this process. Father, we thank you. You are with us. Every day we just need to become more aware of you. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, there's one more group of people that I want to speak to. And if, that's, that's, if you're here today and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this whole idea of spending solitude with Him would just be you being lonely by yourself because you don't know Him. He loves you and He wants to know you. He's desiring a relationship with you. As we sang earlier, God is madly in love with you. And there's a wide open door for you to walk through into relationship with Him. But what you need to do is you need to open up your heart to Him and say, God, I want you in my life. He'll never force Himself on you. He's, up, he's waiting for you to open up to Him. So just in this moment with every eye closed and head bowed, just encourage you. If that's you this morning and you think, yeah, I need to open my heart to God. I need God in my life. Then, uh, then I want to uh, invite you just to raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to do that? I'll give you a, a couple of moments.